A warm welcome in today's episode in Thriving in Christ. This is a special section, Renewal Conversations, where I bring interviews with professionals to help you and get some tips where you can learn from them in such a way to help you on your regeneration path and learn from their experience with tips around chronic stress and burnout and how to stay on a continued journey of growing and thriving in Christ. And today I have the joy to introduce to you Dr. Diane von Staden, who was trained as an optometrist in South Africa and initially pivoted her career from clinical practice into international development. Dr. Diane then went on to build a successful academic career in optometry with a focus on health professions education and she has an ongoing passion for seeing healthcare professionals thrive, especially as they may pivot in their career. And she's currently an adjunct professor at the University of British Columbia in Akanagan in Canada and hosts the podcast Life Beyond Clinical Practice. And if you're a regular, I want to welcome you back. And if you're new, I'm Dr. Ioana Popa from Team for the Soul, and I'm the host of Thriving in Christ podcast and YouTube. And I guide my students and clients through asynchronous learning programs and also through group coaching and also one-to-one through to build from inside out rituals and habits and routines four times a day that are meaningful in such a way to regenerate and be aligned body, mind, heart, and soul in Christ and stay connected on the vine and to renew and regenerate on body, mind, heart, and soul level so that you can continue to serve others in Christ with joy, with energy, with that peace that surpasses all understanding. And with that, let's dive in. All right. Well, welcome to this episode, Dr. Diane. I am so honored and excited that you're here. And I just love the work you're doing. And I cannot wait for the my audience to really <laughs> listen and learn from you. And I would love to start with your vocation and journey in Christ and how did that move you through your professions and where you are now? So I know it's kind of a big umbrella question, (laughs) but let's dive in. I'm really curious to learn more. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Ioana. It's an absolute delight to have met you and also just to admire the work that you do um, and to find alignment as we, you know. Uh, grow and nurture and invest in others what we've learned on our professional and our personal journeys. So to answer your question, I trained as an optometrist initially in South Africa. I'm South African uh, by nationality and I live in Canada now for the past two years. Um, But yeah, I trained as an optometrist and Funny story, I guess. I I always say to people that optometry chose me. I didn't choose (laughs) optometry. (laughs) Because honestly, when I left high school, I had no idea. I was always a top performer in school, academically. But I had no idea what I wanted to do with my career or with, you know, the rest of my life. I knew that I wanted to study. I knew that I needed an education. I came from a working class family. Nobody in my family had gone to university before. So there was no sort of benchmark and no one to guide me. But I just knew that a university education would set me up 
for a better life. Um, and I knew broadly that I wanted to be in the health professions. And where did that come from? I was reflecting on, you know, you know, how, what, what, how I would approach this, the answer to this question. Um, right. And I think uh, probably a lot of it came from my faith. I grew up in a Christian home. When I was, my mom tells me when I was about six months old, they were not Christian. They both, both of my parents grew up very poor and in dysfunctional families, um, single parent homes, you know, just lost to the world, I suppose. Parents were consuming alcohol and just social ills. They grew up in that kind of context. So they had no frame of reference about righteous living and Christianity. But my dad recalled when he was about 11 years old and he used to suffer from asthma. His granny took him to uh, an evangelistic meeting and they prayed for him. And he said he was miraculously healed. He never, ever had an asthma attack after that. So I think the seed was planted there. And then I was the third born, and when they had me, some of their friends had become born again and then came to the house to share the gospel with them, and they were a bit resistant and reluctant, but these friends were quite persistent, and eventually they gave their hearts to the Lord. So essentially, I grew up in the church and, you know, grew up under the word of God, and I think that shaped to a large extent the fact that when I was thinking about what do I want to contribute to the world in my professional life, it was some form of profession that gives back and helps others. And so when I finished high school, I applied to the different health sciences. I remember being interested in dentistry or thinking maybe occupational therapy. And I just cast my net wide. I'm like, wherever, you know, whoever accepts me, I'm going to go for that because I want to be a health professional. And at the end of my degree, I want to be able to serve in some capacity. So funny enough, optometry was the first program that offered me a place. And because it was so competitive, I'm like, yes, I'm taking that and I'm not looking back. <laughs> and I, I laugh and I say that, um, you know, all I knew about it at the time was that it had something to do with eyes and glasses. And <laughs> But you know what? Fast forward, the profession has been so good to me. So I graduated and I went into private practice, which was the only sort of model of practice in South Africa at the time. And for the most part, so, you know, middle to upper class patients who were coming in and a lot of optometry at the time was cosmetic. So it was about, you know, designer brands and what fancy glasses they can afford. And I'm like, and I said, the, knowing the background that I came from, that there are people who've probably never had an eye exam in their lives, mm. who need glasses but can't afford them because there's no there was no public health funded approach to eye care in South Africa. And so that stirred inside me and it, it bothered me for a while. And eventually I couldn't, I said, I need to be part of the solution. And so I was actually brave enough to leave clinical practice after three and a half just over three and a half years. And I said, I know I want to do something in public health, which was quite out there because it did, the solutions didn't exist. The job opportunities didn't exist for optometrists who wanted to work in public health. Nonetheless, I took a three-month sabbatical. My sister lives in the States. I went there. I thought it will be a time of reflection and figuring out my next path. And, and so I applied for a master's degree in public health. And, you know, I guess as God would have it, I was linked up with my former professor who then was champion, championing a public health course for optometry globally. Oh, and wow. so he was so excited that. that he found someone who's he sort of got the same interests, who's like-minded, who wants to solve this problem. And he said, come back to Durban and 
you know, you can come and work with me. And so that's what I did. When I got back to South Africa, I worked alongside him and he mentored me and opened doors for me. I mean, it was all just sort of on the go. There was nothing concrete on paper. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any security, but I was just so passionate about doing this kind of work. Mm. And, you know, the fulfillment you get from giving back and seeing how you contributing to addressing a need or helping people, you know, that feeling of as an optometrist, when you test, let's say a 50 year old woman's eyes for the first time and, and she's significantly myopic and like she's got, it's a whole new world. And that feeling the miracle, of right? Right. Wow. Yes. They can see their children's faces clearly for the first time. And, 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 and so I, I loved that. I don't know if it was an adrenaline rush, but that's feeling of fulfillment, feeling of giving back. And that's what then caused me to sort of nurture my career in international development, really putting optometry on the world stage as a significant, uncorrected refractive error as a significant public health problem. And yeah, that was the start of my career pivot. I eventually then pivoted again into academia, uh, taking the same public health approach to optometry into undergraduate education mm. because we still had a very fixed model of training where we were training students for the private sector. There was almost no awareness of the unmet need and how optometry is a developmental issue. And yeah, that's been the last 12, 13 years of my career, um, focusing on health professions, education and health equity and yeah, now I'm a podcast host of Life Beyond Clinical Practice. We, <laughs> you know, so that my, was still, if I can pause for a second, that was yeah. still in South Africa, right? So still before I moved to Canada, yes, I moved to Canada, really coming to do research work related to health equity and how we can address unmet needs in eye health. That was my interest in coming here to Canada. Um but yeah, the, my academic career was in South Africa and yeah, grew that for a good 12 years, grew my platform globally, um, you know, in terms of the impact I was making. And I've been privileged to contribute to significant policy documents at WHO level about, you wow. know, increasing access to uncorrected refractive error. And all that to say that, you know, I believe that when your career comes into alignment with your purpose or your calling or your passion the thing that you feel strongly about mm. you know doors of opportunity will open for you to make a significant impact in the world and that doesn't necessarily have to be on a global scale your world can be your community your profession you know it can right. or your family or, or yeah. your family yes uh, it can be yeah. it can Absolutely. be that yeah so but but that alignment with the things that matter the most to you will really it, it, it's almost like a flower that opens up and the world sees your beauty and like oh, we want more of this oh yes yeah come and do this you know and and I've seen how that's worked in my career and I think I'm very grateful to God I see how at different points and at each strategic point of my career pivot how he put people in my path people who supported me who mentored me who helped shape the the next you know phase of my career um, and, and then the giving back is just in a different way, right? It takes on a different format of how you're giving back and, and on what platforms you're contributing. Yeah. So that's always been a central theme, I think, 
over the course of my career. So quite a long summary, but that's... That's wonderful. That's, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for sharing. And I love what you said about the alignment, because I too believe it's so important. As you know, I'm working on renewal and preventing burnout mm -hmm. and alignment in God, body, mind, heart, and soul. And I've seen many problems happening when the misalignment happens, yes. it's not there, but that alignment, I love what you said, that it's also bringing up more opportunities and more openings. I love the metaphor of the flower that you're using. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, you started mentioning about the podcast and I want to come back to that, but one phenomena that I noticed that I'm curious what you think when that alignment happens and there's this blossoming and there's the sense of one's role into the world, you know, taking steps, the opportunities sometimes come and there are too many. Ooh, and yes. there's a risk of chronic stress on overdoing, especially for givers. And I'm curious if you've uh, noticed that and if you've experienced that phenomenon. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um oh gosh I'm also I the other day about a week ago I was just reflecting how I've learned not to be what I call an eager beaver I don't know if that's a thing <laughs> <you guys. laughs> but I used to always be yes 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 you know anybody any new project somebody's working on uh, they need volunteers to go and do some sort of community camp or community screening. And I was like, I would put my hand up for almost anything because I was just eager. I was, yes. I was excited. I wanted to grow. I wanted to contribute, you know, I wanted to stretch myself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, at some point I realized I just can't sustain this because you take on some, so much with with all good intentions right exactly and then you realize you as, as you say to my sister i've got all these balls i'm trying to keep all of these balls in the air and it's draining and then you you beat yourself up if you can't meet the expectations that yes. come from that commitment or that people have on you and you can't meet timelines and and then it's feeding into your personal life and your family time because right, exactly you know just the other day my husband made a comment he's like but it's not working hours anymore and you're still in front of your computer. <laughs> so, you know, learning those boundaries and for a long time in my career, especially when I was in the sort of the growth phase of yes. this pivot, I was like anything that, that vaguely resembled, you know, public eye health. And I was like there, I wanted to be there. And I'm like, there's a difference between quality and quantity. Mm, say so, more about that yeah that's so okay nice. if you're listening and you're multitasking come back <laughs> let's think <laughs> through boundaries right yes through qu quality over quantity yeah so yes I realized I'd rather be involved in fewer more strategic things that I can give really quality time and investment into and make a contribution to rather than spreading myself so thin and you know you just you just kind of you know giving a little bit of input or yes keeping yeah. your involvement afloat and it, it's really not doing justice to the process so mm -hmm. it was a long learning because initially I thought oh but if I let go of this opportunity it may you know, it may affect me negatively or being part of this will help me in this way. But I had to learn to streamline all of these things and learn to say no. 
right. without feeling guilty about saying no and putting those boundaries in terms of my time. Then as your profile grows, and especially in academia, then lots of people want to collaborate with you. And, and then the giver in you wants to help or, the, or they want your help. They want to be mentored. Exactly. So you it's like, oh, I need to help this person. There was a time I was helping so many students and universities in Kenya and Uganda were emailing, please, can you help with our program? And, mm -hmm. and because of your internal drive and values and philosophy is saying yes, but on a practical level, you have to learn to say, yes. I'm not able to. You so know, and know that if you decline and God's got your back, he's still going to cause that to work for your good. You're not going to disadvantage yourself in any way. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to piggyback on what you said, because this is so important. This is such a common dilemma for many Christian women, professional servant leaders that have this heart to give. And they get into the space when they're they're good and people are seeking out, they're seeking out and it's hard to say no. So I wonder, what was your discernment process? Like, is there any suggestions or tips that you could bring like in the the ocean of opportunities or, or seeking out, right? Anyone, it's going to feel really bad declining, right? So that's mm -hmm. another thing I want to come back to. But in the discernment piece, what helped you to kind of keep the path, so to right. speak? So what I realized was that when you lose the peace or the joy, so I'll put it down to those two mm -hmm. things, and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you there. The moment I didn't have peace, I was starting to feel anxious, or I was no longer doing it from a place of joy. Mm -hmm. Then I knew, okay, this is just an activity. It's no longer an act of service. I'm trying to please a cause or please a, per, a person. And that happened in my professional life. And it also happened surprisingly in the church, being a giver yes. and being yes. a leader, you know, anything that's happened or you're being asked to be on this committee, serve in this ministry, do this, do that. And it got to a point where it was like, I, I no longer feel I'm doing this for the Lord. And it's no, it's become like a job where it's like another chore, another thing on my to-do list. And that's when I knew I'm giving too much of myself. When you lose your internal peace oh, and the joy that comes with those things. So that was kind of the the red flag. Yep. Discerning what to keep or not. Am I hearing that you go for the what brings you joy and peace, which is so cool because that's exactly what I am um, using as well in, in coaching people. There, there's something about that alignment with God where so he wants us to thrive. He doesn't want us to have right. To be slaves and okay, I have to do this. Of course, some many times we have to do this. Yes, in the course of life, you'll get there, but yeah. yeah, but it shouldn't be prolonged and it shouldn't be a repeated pattern. Yes, yes. So the joy and the peace is there something else that you're using in your discernment process? Again, or I'll go back to the word alignment. So sometimes things come your way that are not exactly aligned with what you know you're called to do or what your strengths are mm -hmm. by virtue of your, maybe your past involvements or people have heard about you and then they approach you for something. And then there's the, the, the it's almost like there's this conversation in your head. Okay. Do I stand to benefit from this? Okay, yes, potentially, but how's it going to detract me from my core business? What's the core business God has called you to do? Well, what's in yeah. within your vocation, within your family? 
Um, and and I used to sort of, you know, with my peers in academia, we used to have these conversations counseling each other. And I used to say, you know, sometimes we forget that God has called us to be stewards of our families first. And when we start neglecting that or not fulfilling our roles in our families, then we need to question our involvement in yes. everything else yes. and the motive for our involvement in those things. And so I think also having, you know, that compass, that, that values, right. right, what is guiding me or what am I holding myself accountable against? What are, what are the pillars that are going to be my boundaries? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the moment you, you know, you stretching out of that, okay, this is now uh, I need to bring myself back in line. Yeah, so is so it compromising my roles, my, my roles as a, a wife, a mother, whatever other hats you may wear? And is it diluting my core business? And for what, what's the motive? If the motive is selfish, I think we need to stop and think. Right. Because the temptation is there sometimes in which, oh, I'm going to be able to put this on my resume. Or I'm going to be able to do this. So you say yes for those benefits, but then it compromises your time and, you know, your focus yeah. on the things that you should be giving yourself to. Mm-hmm. Or the quality with family. Right. Because now you have to put in the extra hours for these things yeah. you've agreed to. Yes. <laughs> that is so good because many times we don't think of time. Um, I heard several people in the coaching business, and I cannot remember who quoted this. I've heard it from Michael Hyatt, but I don't know who, if he owes his quote, but whenever we say yes to something, we say no to something else. And many times we oh, don't true. think of time. There's another very interesting book, uh, Julie Morgenstein. I read it several decades ago. She has time management from inside out. And she really talks about time like a space in the room. And we don't think about that, that whatever we put in a room, we actually take time, we take space. It's the same with time. So I so appreciate what you said, like almost what I'm hearing from you, your process. And I know you're actually guiding people in their vocation if they need to change. And I can wait for you to share that. But there's a sense of, okay, what are some of the core how did you call it? Not core values. You call pillars. it pillars and the business, business for God. I love mm-hmm. that. It's my business mm-hmm. for God and my pillar. <laughs> and then uh, really look through this from different perspectives and match it. And if it's not, then it's a no. Is that right. what you're saying? Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's beautiful. Being... Again, if you're multitasking, come back and re- rewind this because this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. And I think holding ourselves accountable to those things when you are a giver. Yes. Is reminding yourself consistently. Okay. This is the framework with, within which I'm going to work and agree to work with others. Yes. And when it falls out of that framework, we need to think twice, evaluate before we say yes. Pray mm-hmm. about it, of course. Of course. Um, so that you don't end up with this tray that is so full, you struggling to keep your balance things are falling off and then you start beating yourself up because you start feeling incompetent why can't I do this right why yes, am I exactly. staying on top of everything and you know just a negative cycle so being mm-hmm. fair to ourselves by only taking on as much as we can comfortably competently and confidently handle so that we maintain our well-being and you know are able to serve in the areas of life that are also important like family and you know, our own personal time, because sometimes, yes, we make time for family, but we, then we don't have time for ourselves. 
Right. And that's important, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, it's very comforting to know for listeners that if they've gone through chronic stress and burnout, they're not alone. Like, I, I, at least I had two major burnouts and smaller ones along the way. And I'm curious, did you experience that or you just got it all together and <laughs> going to be like, praise God, <laughs> Dr. Diane has it. Oh, gosh. Yeah, probably twice in my career also. I don't know if I can call the first one exactly burnout, but I had just reached a point where I was, I don't even know what the word, lost, mm -hmm. frustrated, hated getting up in the morning to go mm -hmm. to work, you know, asking, Lord, what am I doing here? Why did I come? I had just transitioned from international development and I'd gone to the university. And it was also a period in my life where so much had changed. I literally, I think I got married in 2011, which was the same year that I started at the university. And then I had baby number one in 2012, baby number two in 2013. And it's like, and I'm trying to get into this right. academic yeah. career to teach. To do re and I was, I registered for my PhD and it, it was all these things. And I'm like, I remember just walking the corridors of that university feeling so deflated for a good two years and wanting to leave. And at some point I actually did resign. I'm like, I can't do this. And my dean called me and, you know, when he sat, and he's actually not Christian, he sat across the table, he's a Muslim professor. And it's almost like I could hear God speaking through this man to me. And he said, you can't leave. You're almost done with your PhD. I know it's hard. It's a and he, and, he, and he didn't even give me a choice. He said, you're going to go back to your office and you're going to write a letter and you're going to retract your resignation. <laughs> <laughs> and if I didn't listen to him, I don't know what I, where I would be today. But, but yeah, I remember those two years were probably the most difficult mm. of my career. And I was, I, had, I was just flat everything. I felt like I had stretched myself too much. There was no joy in what I was doing. And I didn't know which way to turn. Mm -hmm. And that conversation was a bit of a wake up call because it made me think about why am I here? Why did I choose to come here? Mm -hmm. And it took me back to the reason behind my decision to, or, or one of the main reasons behind my decision to leave my career in international development and join academia, which was to influence change in the way optometry students were being trained and to bring up more yeah. public health agenda. And so when I went back to that, I was able to, amidst all the challenges and amidst everything I was juggling and feeling like a fish out of water, find my place, mm. nurture my niche and just grow. And I grew from there because then I knew it, it's almost like I had a laser sharp focus. I know I'm here. I'm not going to succumb to the system. The system may be suffocating me, but I'm not victim to the system. I need to do what I came here to do. And so, yeah, it, doesn't, it didn't change overnight. It never changed until I left. It probably got more difficult. But because I knew the purpose I had to fulfill, I was able to pull myself, myself out of that slump and then almost just almost hover above it, you know, like an eagle. The, the, mm. the chaos is happening here, but I know what I'm doing and here's my path and it's clear and I'm going to run with it. And that's why career clarity coaching is, is so important to me. That's because I've lived it. I've walked that journey where I've felt yes. 
totally lost. I didn't know what my options were. I was, pre I was prepared to leave and just go and do something else completely. Altogether. So just to summarize a bit what you said, because it's so important, because burnout or misalignment, it doesn't come with bells and whistles. And sometimes it's very hard to kind of touch and, and really... Pinpoint, yes. And you mentioned the lack of joy, the frustration, right? Waking up in the morning and not knowing what you do, feeling lost. Was there anything else that you mentioned? Like, like why am I here? You yes. know, you start asking yourself, why or what am I doing here? Mm. You know, this is not bringing me joy. This is not what I want. And you only see the negative. That's all. when you're in that space. Yes. All you can see is the negative. negative. And you yes. feel weighed down, completely weighed down. Yes. And so that's what I felt for a good two years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you mentioned earlier that saying no and declining, right, setting healthy boundaries sometimes doesn't feel good. How did you deal with that? Because that's a big concern for many Christian women. It's like, oh, it's just, I know I need to do something or say no, but it just doesn't feel good. Like, what was your compass in that? I mean, I think I'm sensing it. I just don't want to project it. And yeah, if I, if I'm, understand clearly what you're asking. So I'll go back to saying what I said as my, what remained my compass was knowing what value or what contribution I, I was there to make. Oh, I love that. Okay. So getting that clarity about that contribution, then it didn't matter the feelings kind of thing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I was able to ride above the feelings yes, because now I, I had see. purpose. I saw I this. There was a definite need. I know there's a need. I know there's a gap that's unaddressed. And I know I'm the only person in this university who can fill that gap, who is skilled enough to bring about this change. This is what I'm going to do. It can be exploding around me, but I'm going to stay focused. Like <laughs> someone from management or someone from wherever department comes and they got some fancy project with bells and whistles, I'm not going to get distracted because this is my niche. I'm mm. going to stick to my niche. I'm going to be known for my niche. I'm going to grow my niche. I'm going to make an impact in my niche. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. Go ahead. Yeah, so that's what kind of kept me grounded, kept me that compass that mm. I always used as my yardstick. That's awesome. Is, and is then it related, if it was related in some way or would help advance the work or the cause I was trying to drive, then right. yes, maybe I would consider my involvement. But if it was something totally unrelated, then no, thank you. Respectfully, but if, is there some way I can support you? Do you need resources? Can I send you something? Or, you know, right, right, right. that way, yeah. give you some yeah. advice, yeah. but I can't, I'm unable to be involved. I've got too much on my plate. Right. Oh, that's a great line. So if you're wondering about a line, what to say, this is a great uh, example. And I think as a listener, even if you're not necessarily wrestling on a professional level, maybe it's in church or in the family, sometimes that clarity and spending some time to really understand what is your vocation or calling as a human being, I so I love in an Orthodox Christian tradition, there's saints, right? So, and the saint is known for something, they're doing something. So in a certain way, we're all called to be sanctified and be one with God. Right. So being called of something, even if it's um, whatever that is, and then stay true to that. I just mm -hmm. absolutely love it. I do want to have time for your, you mentioned career counseling, you mentioned podcast, and I'm so curious, and I would <laughs> love for the audience to hear also more and then we'll put in the links ways to contact you dr diane someone actually can you say more i want to i want to learn from you so sure 
Yeah. So um, when I moved to Canada, it was the first year I was doing research at the University of British Columbia. And then I needed to think about where to with my professional life, you know, and, and what was the next phase for me of, mm-hmm. I guess, value add, if I can call it that, yes. um, leadership contribution, how can I impact and influence the next generation or just other peers who I've witnessed over the course of my career, excellent clinicians who want to transition or academics, they are highly published, you know, but they can't get promoted because they don't know how to identify, clarify their niche. So very much, oh, so-and-so is doing a research project. This is on HIV. Then someone else is doing a research project on asthma. And then someone, and, and they're all over the place because they don't know their thing. Yeah. Yes. Who am I? What am I best with? What fires me up? Why do, where do I want to nurture my, my, my skills and expertise? Yes. And what do I want to be known for? So I've seen how many struggle to define that niche and they don't have the clarity. And once you define your niche and you're clear about this is who I am as a healthcare professional or as a professional, or as a researcher. Yeah. yes, mm-hmm. and that's your lane. You stay in your lane. Yes, 80, 20, mm-hmm. yeah, here, here and there you may be involved in things slightly outside of that for your own growth. But stay true to the thing that brings you the most, where you can contribute the most value that brings you the most joy. And it's a win-win. So, and then I thought, okay, I'd seen other colleagues who had struggled, also immigrated and struggled to then, I don't want to say repurpose their careers, but how can they position themselves in a new country, in a new space, using their existing expertise, very qualified, highly skilled, but not really sure how to package that value, how to present it, how to sell themselves. It sounds bad to say that, but yeah, how do you market yourself to the world? As yes, exactly. In a different space. You were known where you came from, you had your profile, but now you're someone new. And what do you sell yourself as? You may not be able to sell yourself as a professor or as a physiotherapist anymore, but you've done many other things like community engagement, like, you know, policy research and and then bringing that all together to really just name your niche and then grow in that stream. And so that's what I refer to as career clarity, uh, you know, getting that clarity on so what that's is what you're doing. That you're you're right. coaching and that getting that clarity. Oh, that's so it's, exciting. It's helping helping clients reflect on what they have done, what has brought you the most joy. Because sometimes we're involved in things and that's not really where the fire, and it's not really what lights the fire in us, right? So what- Oh, I love it. Can I pause you for a second? So lighting the fire, feeling that fire inside (laughs) is also going to bring the joy and it's probably what God called us to do. And there's the most need. I mean, obviously, if we have a fire and it's just a seat on the beach, probably that's not (laughs) God calling us to sit on the beach all day long. But um, you're saying- purpose and work and And when you prepared I always say when you prepare to do something even if nobody paid you for it then that's your thing yeah because it it drives you you're passionate about it regardless it's not about the reward but it's just about the process and doing the thing and so really that's what and then I decided okay I've have so much experience in health professions education. I've worked with students, I've worked with professionals, and I've seen this sort of repeated pattern and challenge that they face. Yes. And especially from clinicians wanting to pivot to other roles, then they don't know how to take their transferable skills 
even though they've worked in a clinical context, but there's many other transferable skills they can utilize. And what other roles can they then target mm -hmm. in line with these interests or strengths? Mm -hmm. So that's what I do now through Life Beyond Clinical Practice. And yeah, just the next phase of, as I said, my impact um, and so contribution. That's called Life Beyond Clinical, clinical practice. practice. And you do coaching. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. Oh, that's wonderful. And your yeah. podcast? The podcast is called Life Beyond Clinical Practice as well. Um, so currently I do offer career clarity coaching. So I can work with clients one-on-one -on -one to really develop their personal brand. That's to identify their niche, to, you know, come up with the roadmap for their career pivot or their career plan for the next five years if they want to grow in a particular niche or stream mm -hmm. and then just help them to map that out and then develop their their professional marketing if they're targeting careers or, or positions outside of clinical um, practice mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and marketing in a certain sense meaning they're serving they need to be known to serve otherwise if you're not known how can you serve right? yes so sometimes we feel like oh it doesn't feel right when we use the terms like oh, marketing yourself or selling yeah. your skills but essentially yes what are you known for yes you know what is your what do people see as your contribution to the world or your best value and right. then how do you package and present that so taking right. exactly. who they are what they have packaging it and presenting it in a way that where they are seen as experts in this thing that they're mm -hmm. most passionate about mm -hmm. Oh, this is so wonderful. Thank you for sharing. It's, it's so great. I'm going <laughs> to go back you. and keep listening to this. Was uh, there anything else that you felt that any nuggets of wisdom that or tips that could be helpful for our listeners here around vocation and alignment and career change and all that? Was it anything else or it's okay if it's a no, but sure. Just probably the one thing that just popped into my head is because sometimes I still battle with the guilt. Mm -hmm. There is an element of guilt when you have to let things go. Yes. And say, and say no, and or say no. And so it's important to be able to process within yourself, do the reasoning as to why you can't take things on or why you have to now let things go. Be okay with the fact that people will be disappointed mm -hmm. or may be disappointed by your decision to pull out or withdraw from certain things, uh, whether it's a ministry in the church, whether it's a volunteer project, whatever it is. Be okay with the fact that sometimes you may have to disappoint some people yes. in the course of protecting yourself, nurturing yourself, and staying true to the capacity you have to handle the volume of responsibilities on your plate without compromising your or your family's well-being. So the guilt aspect, I think, keeps a lot of people stuck in that right. know, state right. of just juggling a lot of things and taking on a lot of things because you feel bad to say no or, you, or shame. So they really needed my help or no one else is stepping up to do it. So I've got to do it. No, I always say you can't help others if you're unwell. Yes, exactly, exactly. You can only serve from a place of, serve, genuinely serve from a place of wellness. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. 
and the so other protect your well-being so that you can serve well in the areas where you really need to I so love that yes because that's exactly what I've noticed as well and if there's not that connection and I would say what I've discovered in my process when I started to, to say no because I shifted careers in in my search for alignment was that you know, I need to be humble. I'm not necessarily irreplaceable in right. many situations. Okay, maybe in my niche, there's something specific that I do that either other people are doing, but it's God's calling for me. Mm -hmm. I do it in a certain way. But in most places, I found myself, I was not irreplaceable. And people find other people that were even more suited to that job and that brought that resonance in there. So yeah, thank you for sharing this. This is You're so welcome. <laughs> oh, it's delightful to chat about these things and be yes. able to help your audience. Hopefully they've, uh, you know, taken some nuggets out of this con conversation. And, I am sure. Yeah, we learn from each other. We learn with each other and we pass on our experience to others so that they don't have to walk the same path and, you know, right. and, and so much time. Wait and up. linger in a place that is, that is unpleasant or challenging. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Identifying the red flags and taking swift action to mm -hmm. put mm -hmm. the boundaries in place and protect your well-being. That is wonderful. Yeah. And as we wrap up, was there any question for me that you might have? Or is it feel complete? Yeah, it feels complete. So just to, just to say, I love the work that you do. And thank you so much for doing what you do. I admire your work. Mm. I learn from your work. You pouring out of your experience and your soul, soul place, you know, that place of joy and the heart giving to others. And so even people like myself who are now, you know, coaching others or helping others in different areas can learn from your Thriving in Christ podcast, Team for the Soul Strategies. So I'm so glad that we found each other. And yes, I, I'm <laughs> thank you so much for sharing. And may you have a wonderful week and a month and year. And I hope we'll have you come over another time. Oh, that will be awesome. <laughs> I look forward to it. It's been absolutely delightful. Thank you so much, Dr. Thanks, Dr. Ioana. Take care. Take care. Thank you, Dr. Diane, so much for today and for your words of inspiration and for sharing your journey. It's been so wonderful to learn more about you. And if you, as a listener, I encourage you to maybe even listen again. There's so many nuggets embedded in this interview. And I'll put in the links, as promised, in the episode. And with that, I'm going to end with a prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for Dr. Diane and for everything that she has to offer into the world and her inspiring story. And I pray also for the listener. May you bless her abundantly as she is going through her life and tries to give in you to her family, her work, her church, and her vocation. May you continue to enlighten her and give her strength and discernment and a sense of well-being. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. And with that, thank you for everything you're doing. And I say goodbye for now, and I'll see you next week.